Welcome to the uh, Men of Transformation Conference. I hope that you guys are truly transformed. Uh, if you have a genuine, real relationship with Jesus, I don't think you can help but be transformed because you know him. Jesus said, some are going to say, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. When Abraham was called by God, it was being called into a relationship. Abraham was a friend of God. And there's something about friends. When you begin to hang out with them, you begin to become like them. And if you start to hang out with somebody who does something good, you start to do what they do better. I remember this when I was 18 years old. I was playing tennis. Pretty horrible tennis player. But I started playing someone who's really good. And after playing him for six months or so, I found out that I got better. Can you imagine spending time, real, genuine time with God and not being transformed? Can you imagine being with Him, experiencing Him, having that relationship with Him and not having your life transformed? Now, do you guys have a Bible with you? You can open it up with me to Luke chapter 10. Excuse, excuse me, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. As we take time tonight to turn to God's Word. Uh, when Jesus was teaching, a woman cried out from the crowd, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that fed you. And Jesus said, yes, but more so. Think of this. That was Mary. She's talking about Mary, that she's blessed for being able to raise Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And Jesus says, more so, if you hear my word and do it. Jesus in another place said, the truth will set you free. My word is truth. That's why the Word of God is so powerful and such an authority in our lives. And it is inerrant in the truths that it teaches us. And when God's Word gets inside of us, what happens? We are changed. We are transformed as God's Word works inside of us. God's Word doesn't return back void. What is it doing when it goes out? It's falling on the ears of men and women and it's transforming and changing them because it doesn't return back void. So we will take time tonight to look at what the scriptures have to say about the transformation that happens when you have a genuine relationship with him. Now, if you don't have a genuine relationship with him, I'm hoping that you would be encouraged to make sure it's genuine, to not be playing games, because in reality, nothing really matters if there is no God. You think about this with atheists. If, if, if this world, you look around at the world that we see, if there is no God, then what we see is it's absurd, it's strange, it's weird. And the end result should be a nihilistic attitude. What I do doesn't matter. If there's no God, and I'm just living here now for the moment, what does anything I do matter? But if there is a God, then that's all that matters. It's not for us to live our lives in a way that we want to live them. It's for us to say to him, I want to know what you want from me and how you want me to live. And I want to live wholeheartedly with you. And this is what God wants for us. He wants a relationship with us. And people in the world miss this so much. They, they talk about if God is real, then why is there evil? And if God is real, then why is there suffering? You're missing. It's all about that interaction with God. We feel things, we feel pain, we feel sorrow, we feel difficulties and struggles. And all of that shows us that we are alive and we are walking through this world with him, interacting with him and knowing him. Now, I want to look at a passage. It's going to be very familiar to you guys, especially if you've gone to church your whole life. You're going to know it really well. The title of the message today is The Transforming Power of Salvation, How Salvation Changes You. I have a more specific title, 
what changes when you get saved? When you, you commit your life to Christ, when you raise your hand in a service or you were talking with someone and said, I do, I want to be a disciple. I want to live for Jesus. What changes in you and in your life when that happens? A few years ago, I was teaching at the West Campus and somebody came up the stairs afterwards and he looked me in the eye and he went, yep. And I was like, okay. A lot of weird things happen after services, by the way, when people come up. And um, he says, oh, well, I've got a gift that I can look people in the eyes and tell whether or not they're really saved and you're really saved. I said, I'm glad it didn't go the other way. I'm glad you didn't go, no, no, whoa, my goodness. What did he see? A little cross in my eyes, a little dove flying around in there, a little marker of the Holy Spirit. There's no way to tell by looking at someone in the eyes whether or not they're saved. But there's a thousand ways to tell once you get to know them and you interact with them and you see their lives and you see the way that you live because you can't have that interaction with God and not be changed. So I want to talk about what happens when we are saved. Now, this word saved is an interesting word. We use it all the time. And it's connected to the name of Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, not Yeshua, Yeshua. And the uh at the end is like hallelujah, which is Yahweh. Hallelujah, praise Yahweh. And so Yeshua is salvation of Yahweh or Yahweh's salvation, translated over into English. So remember that when Jesus was born in Matthew 1, 21, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Salvation is Yahweh or salvation, uh, Yahweh's salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the whole work of Christ. That's why he came. He could have gotten involved in the political world of the Romans. He could have gotten involved in the political world of the Jews but he didn't do any of that. He kept his focus on people and how they would get saved. Listen to what Isaiah 12, one through three would prophesy about this salvation. In the day, in, uh, and in that day, you will say, O Lord, I praise you. Though you are angry with me, you, uh, you, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, there is hallelujah. For Yah, this is translated in the King James Bible, Jehovah, but Yahweh or Yah is a much better translation. This is the tetragrammaton, the four letters, which is what tetragrammaton means, that make up the name of God. For Yah, the Lord is my strength and my song, Isaiah said. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. It's God's goal to seek and save men. Now, as Jesus is making his way through Jericho, he's going to run into a wee little man by the name of uh, Zacchaeus. And we're going to talk some about him. But as he makes his way into that town, he's going from Jericho, which is the last city that he'll go through before he gets to Jerusalem. It's an uphill walk and he's going to bring salvation the very next weekend. On that next Sunday, he will ride in on that donkey on Palm Sunday. And here's what it says in Zechariah 9.9 about that event. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the colt of a foal of a donkey. 
I want to say something very grand. And sometimes grand statements can be lost. This salvation is the greatest work of all time. It is the work that will be done in your life that will bring you into eternity. There are three great moments of transformation in the life of a believer. We know that transformation takes place all the time. The Bible says that our inner man is being renewed day by day. And I left out the first part of that. What does it say? The outer man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. And a lot of us are like, amen, understand that one completely. But that's what happens to us as we walk with Christ. We are progressing. We are walking further, closer to him, and we are being transformed. But when we are saved, that's one of the biggest transformations that will happen. I'm going to talk to you about that today. And then when we leave this world and go to glory, that's the second greatest transformation you'll have. That's the intermediate state. To be absent from this body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. You will suddenly be in the presence of Christ. It says in Isaiah, I think it's 35, they looked upon him and their faces were radiant. We will see him and we will be radiant by looking at Christ. Our faces, like Moses, will shine. Like Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shined. Our faces will shine in such a way. Now, what I would like to do is to cover this passage, see what we can learn from it. I want to go kind of quickly through it. And then I want to look at three things that, cha that change when we become Christians and how we can make sure that we're having these transformations in our lives. Okay, number one, uh, verse number one. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die, very close. When he comes to Jericho, which in the Old Testament is a type of the beginning of your walk with Christ. Think about it. Going over the Jordan River, going into the promised land from the wilderness is a representation of following Jesus, of living for him now. Some of the old hymns, we've gone over the River Jordan. And the first place that they conquered was Jericho. So as Jesus enters into Jericho, he meets a blind man and he heals him. And that blind man follows him. Now, he hasn't always let people that he healed follow him. In fact, he stopped a lot of people from following him because it wasn't time yet. But here he allows this man to follow him. And that's a type of salvation. We are blind. But when we are saved, we see. And then we follow him. We want to do what he wants us to do. We become followers of Christ. And Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my followers, follow after me, then deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Now he passes through Jericho and he gets to the other side. And it says, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was very, or, and, was, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Now, how short was Zacchaeus? The average man in the days of Jesus, and they, they do this by looking at houses and ruins and looking at their sleeping quarters and where they slept. So there's some science behind this. The average man in the days of Jesus was about five feet tall. So how tall was Zacchaeus if in that day he's saying that he was a, he was a wee little guy? Now, he's also rich and we find out he's a tax collector. He ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. 
I want you to notice that Zacchaeus showed an interest, but it was Jesus that initiated it. And although you may show an interest in spiritual things, like Zacchaeus, when we show an interest, we don't have any details as to what this spiritual thing is. But Jesus said, come down from that tree. I'm going to dine with you tonight. Remember in the book of Revelation? If I, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. And now I want to dine with you. And so he's the one who initiates salvation. Jesus always initiates salvation. He did it by going to the cross and dying on the cross for us there. He gave us light here in the world. He gave us creation that we would know that there is a creator. You can't have creation without having a creator. And so we know it. The book of Romans tells us that God puts inside of us something that lets us know that there is a God. And so we respond to him when we hear of the work that he's done for us when we respond positively to the light that has been given to us, we are drawn to him. Abraham is a great example of this. And I mentioned him earlier because Abraham was a friend of God. So when was Abraham saved? It was after he was ready to sacrifice his son and he believed what God said. And it says he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so the, the initiation here is Jesus and, and Zacchaeus responds. Now, there's no merit in the response. Zacchaeus is just like, I'm going to do it. Yes. If Jesus asked to come and, and have dinner at your home and you say, yes, please come into my house. Later on, you can't go. Well, I did something great when I had Jesus come into my house because it wasn't your idea. It was Jesus. And when you receive Christ, there's nothing meritorious about it. There's no work about that. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's, there's no boasting because he called us and he, he invited us in and we responded to him. Verse seven, but when they saw it, they all complained saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, look, I, gave, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from among Anyone, by false accusations, I restore fourfold. Now, when you hear his statement, some have misconstrued it, that he stood up and told Jesus, I do work. I give half of everything that comes into the poor. And, and I, if I mistreat anybody, I pay back fourfold. But that's not what he's saying. It's clearer in the Greek for sure. And I want to read you out of the Amplified Bible. This is verse 8 out of the Amplified Bible. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, See, Lord, I am now giving half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will give back four times as much. This is a changed man. He's only been with the Lord that night. Now, what happened to him? How come he said that? Well, look at what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. When did Jesus say it? After there was repentance, there was a turn. He didn't do works to be saved. He was saved and immediately there was an inward conviction. And he said, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to make it right. I, I mean, he changed who he was because of the salvation. And that's the way it is. You never have works before salvation. You have salvation and that transforms you into good works. 
And this is why James said in the book of James, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Because works follow salvation. Salvation starts and then works follow them. I met the Lord when I was 14 years old. I was baptized in the Methodist church. I'd grown up in the church. I was probably any typical 14 year old. Wasn't really that concerned about going to church. Didn't really want to go. But I was 14 years old and MYF, the Methodist Youth Foundation, was where the girls were. So I'm like, all right, I'll go to, I'll go to MYF. Well, when I got there one night, the youth pastor sat me down and said, are you going to heaven? And I said, yeah. And he said, why? I said, because I believe in God. And he said, does the devil believe in God? I said, yeah. He says, is the devil going to heaven? I said, no. He said, then it takes more than just believing God exists, doesn't it? He said, it takes trusting and, and living for him. And he, pray, he led me in a prayer. Like I lead people in prayers all the time for, at the end of services to give their lives to Christ. Same kind of prayer. And he led me in a prayer and I gave my life to Christ. And I'll tell you, at 14 years old, God did something inside of me. All of a sudden, I wanted to go to church. All of a sudden, I wanted to know the Bible better. All of a sudden, I wanted to know the things about God. I wanted to know him more. God transformed a 14-year-old. Now, to my shame, I walked away when I was 18 years old. There was an event that happened in the church that I was in. The pastor had an affair with the secretary and I walked away from Christ at the time. Now, I can look at it and go, it was that event that made me walk away. But in reality, I was 18 years old and I was looking in the world and I was going, I think there's something there. I'd never experienced it. And so God let me experience it for a year until I was absolutely sick of it. And after taking everything away from me, God says, I'll, I'll leave the one and I'm going to go after, I'll leave the 99, I'm going to go after the one. And he took every, he came after me. I have that in my life. He didn't just let me go. He took everything from me. I, my father had died when I was 14 years old as well. And, um, or 13. I guess my dad died when I was 13 years old. I came to Christ at 14. Um, and I got some money when I turned 18 years old. And so I got a 68 Camaro. My mom actually bought it for me for my birthday because I came into the money and I guess she used it to buy me the car. And not only that, I got a Jeep. So this is 19, this is 78. I got a 77 CJ5 Jeep. And I also had a Yamaha RD350 two-stroke. You guys remember those bikes? They were like fast. And, uh, and had a girlfriend, top of the world. And then God comes after me. I wreck my Jeep in Elephant Butte and it burns down. It burns and I don't have insurance on it. I still have to make the payment, even though I don't have the Jeep anymore. I lost my license by speeding in the Camaro. So now I don't have my license. And my girlfriend broke up with me. And at 18 years old, my identity was in having a girlfriend. If I had a girlfriend, I was there. If I didn't, you know, I wasn't. And so I'm driving home. Oh, my, my bike got stolen, by the way. I put on my helmet, I had a full face helmet I would wear and big gloves. I lived in Albuquerque where it was cold. Full face helmet, big gloves. And I walk out to where the bike is and I'm like, it's gone. Everything was taken away. And now I'm driving home and I turn the radio over back to K-Light, which was what the Christian radio station was called there then. And there was a song on by Chuck Gerard called Little Pilgrim. Little Pilgrim walking down the road of life. Can't you see that there are others who are just like you? And you take a little turn to the left to see what that road has to offer you. 
but you've got to make it back to the main road anyhow. And you've got all that lost time to make up for. And it's a sad thing when you realize you're all alone again. And the last line of the song says, and it's a glad thing when you find your way back home. I choked up the rest of the way home, got ready for bed and crawled in bed. My mom, me lived in a trailer at the time. And I remember looking up at that little, I don't know what it is, a button or whatever it is up at the top of the trailers. I looked at that button and I said, no longer would I want God, I'm done. I now wanna serve you. Now I'd done a lot of bad things in that year. I'd walked completely away from Christ. But God restored me and he transformed me again even maybe in a more powerful way. Because at 14, I didn't really understand the surrender. I even thought of it as a little bit of a self-help Jesus. Yeah, I want Jesus in my life. I want to live for him. He's going to make it better. Jesus, take the wheel kind of thing, right? If it's going good, hands off the wheel. But Jesus, things are bad. You take the wheel. That's how I thought about it from 14 until 18. But when I came back, I knew I was giving everything to him. I knew I was no longer going to live for myself, but I was now going to live wholeheartedly for him. And we see this transformation when salvation comes to him. And Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, let's go to verse nine. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Now, when we get to Romans, we learn that Abraham believed and we're all sons of Abraham because he believed and was saved. This isn't the lineage because he's Jewish. It's because he believed. And that's how we're sons of Abraham. And then in verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's what he has done. Came to save you and transform you and change you. That's the work that he does. And that's the reason that he came. As I said before, he could have got involved in anything. He, he showed us that what is the most important thing is doing the work that God calls us to do. I'm sure the other guys will share some of these with 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Paul said, forgetting the things that lie behind me, I press forward towards the mark. That's where we all are. We forget what's behind us and press forward into Christ and what he has for us. Romans 12, 2, this is for the conference. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's got to be the word of God in your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You say, I don't know what God wants. Well, God wants you to walk in love. God wants you to live for him. God wants you to be an ambassador for him. God wants you to be a light. God wants you to care about the people that are around you enough that you take time to pray for them and seek God for them. Now, I have three ways in which we change that I want to cover here at the end. Number one, God changes the inner man. When you are saved, you are transformed. And if you are not transformed, then you are not saved. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. You may have been in a church and you may have raised your hand and said, yes, I want to invite Jesus in. You may have prayed with somebody on the street. You may have given your life to Jesus when something was going horribly wrong in your life, but you didn't change. You walked away and said, I've got my parking validated for heaven and that's a good thing and that's all it's meant to you. Then you really haven't come to Christ. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm saying this is the way that we know. 
In Acts 3.19, Peter said this in a sermon, repent therefore and be converted. Repent and be converted. It's gonna, you're going to be changed. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we repent and are converted, it's not like, what a drag, I can't do those things anymore. Sin is sin because it's inherently bad. There's inherent things wrong with sin. And that's why God wants to get it out of our lives. And times of refreshing come to Him. Not only are, you, are your sins forgiven, but you also are given eternal life. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. This is more than just living forever. Again here, the world has no understanding about it. They think I'm going to get bored in heaven. Fat little naked babies flying around on clouds. What are we going to do there, you know? Hey, you, you have no idea how glorious eternity is going to be. This is a world that we've been created that we would go through, love one another, handle diversity in a way that, that would bring glory to God. That's our call as Christians to handle difficulties, hardships, the different things that happen to us in a way that brings, brings glory to him so people can see Christ in us. And finally, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. This is the inner man. Christ moves inside of you. My father and I will move in. And you are in Christ. And the Bible has both of these. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And I got to think that you are in Christ is greater. But Christ in me, my body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine? Galatians 2.20, Paul said this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life of a believer. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for him. Now, the next thing that happens is there's a change in our relationship to God. In Galatians 2.20, it says, you became a child of God. We have a heavenly father. We have a dad who cares for us with a different perspective and who's working out character in our lives. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray, our Father who art in heaven, you're the one and, and your will be done. John 7, 37 and 39, Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So not only is Christ in you and you in him, but the Holy Spirit is inside of you when you come to Jesus and drink of the water that he gives. And then everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit gushes out of you into, into the lives of people around you. If you generally walk with Christ, you will influence Christ, the people around you for Christ in the spiritual realm. So that sometimes, sometimes people are annoyed at us and we haven't even started witnessing yet. We're planning on it. But they're like, I wish you'd stop talking about Jesus. You're like, what? I haven't said anything yet. 
because the Spirit is flowing from you and convicting of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And God's working inside of you. You have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you, which is going to bring the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, it also changes our behavior. And this is what we see with Zacchaeus. Salvation came to that home and he changed his behavior. It wasn't, as I said, it wasn't works and then salvation. It was salvation and then a behavioral change. Now in 1 John 2, 3, and 5, and remember this passage, 1 John 2, 3 especially. Now by this we know that we know him. I do a Q&A on every, every Wednesday and Saturday at four o'clock on YouTube and Facebook, taking questions from the comment section. One of the questions that we get most often is how can I know I'm really saved? This is the passage I go to. By this, we know that we know him. We're gonna get some information. This should make us set up a little straighter. By this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And that's kind of a double whammy there. You're a liar and the truth ain't in you. If you say, I know him. Listen, if you're here today and you say, I love Jesus, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to do what he says. I want to do my own thing. Then I don't know that you're really genuinely saved. I, I'm not going to judge you. It's not for me to judge you. I don't judge whether or not you're saved. All I can do is look at the scriptures. And if that is your heart, you're the one who knows. If you say, yes, I want to do what he says, but I'm struggling. And I just seem to always do the stupid thing. Amen, brother, me too. Okay. We know that there are strongholds and we know we struggle with them. And I hope you're not struggling with a weak hold because that would be really bad. But there are strongholds. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who doesn't want to do what Jesus says. You say, I don't want to keep his commandments. I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to serve him. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do what he says. And sometimes the other pastors here will, will relate to this. You tell people what the Bible says for them to do, what Jesus says for them to do, and they don't want to do it. They find a reason to justify doing what they want to do instead of doing what God wants them to do. See, when we come to Christ, we give up. Our identity is now in him. We, we are now Christians. As I said earlier, Jesus said, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Now, not only does our behavior change, and this means we, we are being changed and we're being renewed. And I can tell you after 45 years of being a Christian, 40, almost 45 years of being a Christian, I can tell you that I'm still changing. I'm still finding myself drawing closer to him. I'm still finding him working things in my life. I'm still finding myself revealing things. When I was a really young Christian involved in the Pentecostal church, and I love the Pentecostal church. I loved going there. I loved the sense of anticipation and expectation that God was going to meet you there. I loved all of that. But I also remember in my own heart having a great pretentiousness. Yes, I hear from God. And let me tell you what God's saying to you. And God kind of whooped that out of me over the years. To where now, you know what? I just want to share the word and I just want to see you commit your life fully and completely to Christ and live for him 
because that's what matters overall. So our behavior changes. Another thing that happens to our behavior is that we desire to help those in need. Jesus said, if you give a glass of water in my name, you will not lose your, your reward. So that means that even something as trivial as a glass of water to someone who's thirsty, you're going to receive a reward for. And I find this with the church here. And, and those of you who are in other churches, I'm sure the same thing is true there because genuine believers want to help. And when we raise funds because somebody has had a, a tragedy or something horrible has happened or we want to build a well somewhere in Africa for a village that's there, the people respond in amazing ways. Why? Because we're sheep and not goats. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and I was sick and in prison. You came and visited me. You gave me clothes. When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. It's not about gaining what we can gain, but it's about helping the people around us. I think one of the reasons that there's people going through suffering and hard times and difficulties is so we can show the compassion of Christ. And as it's been said before, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, not only do we, are we called to, to have our behavior change and desiring to do what he wants and to, be a, and to help those in need, but also to be ambassadors for Christ. And I love this because there's something dignified about being an ambassador. If you were an ambassador for the United States, you're representing all the United States when you're in another country. When, when you interact, you're interacting for the USA. Pretty powerful. But we are ambassadors of Christ. Everywhere we go, we represent him. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Does it surprise you that Jesus came having salvation? His name was salvation. He brought salvation wherever he went. And then when we're ambassadors, God's imploring through us for people to be reconciled with God. This is, I'm persuaded, why the world doesn't like Christians, why we are becoming more and more unpopular to the world. Because through us, as a testimony, as a witness to the world, that we are drawing people to be reconciled to God and the world fights against that and does not want it. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Now, a couple of things in closing. Number one, if you have said tonight in your own heart, yeah, I haven't wanted to do what God wants me to do. Then you got to make that right. You want to follow him with sincerity and not with hypocrisy. And if you have genuinely come to him, then you'll want to do the things that he said. And you need to make that right. Number two, in the Old Testament times, if you felt like you were distant from God and wanted to get closer, you could take a Nazarite vow. You would shave your head, then you wouldn't cut it for a certain amount of time. And then you wouldn't touch any wine or any grapes, not even the grapes that made wine. And you couldn't touch a dead body. And during that time, you sought God. The whole time your hair was growing back, you were seeking God. 
At the end of the Nazarite vow, you cut your hair off and that hair became a symbol and you sacrificed that to God. It became a symbol of the time that you sought to draw closer to God because God realized that we, get, we have times of dryness in our lives, at times where we feel at a distance from God in our lives. And so we need, they needed something like that. Well, James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Feeling at a distance from God? Then make an effort to draw near to him. Is there a desert time in your life now where you just don't feel it for him? Then draw near to him. That's a powerful passage. But the next part is powerful as well, but we don't like it as much. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. So you can't come to him and say, I want to be closer to you without saying, I want to live for you as well. I want the righteousness that is in my life because of you. We have righteousness imputed to us by Christ, the righteousness of Christ. God interacts with us based on the righteousness of Jesus. Sometimes you feel like a second-class Christian. You know, God, I keep doing the same thing over and over again. God didn't want anything to do with me. Well, he's not having anything to do with you because of your own righteousness anyway. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus imputed in your life. And that's a theological term. It just means it's injected into you. The righteousness of Christ is in us and that's how God interacts with us. That's why you can go boldly before the throne because if it was your own righteousness, you wouldn't be able to do that. But because it's the righteousness of Christ, you can go boldly before the throne and you can ask him for help in a time of need is what Hebrews says. So my encouragement is for all of us, myself included, to draw close to Christ. And if by chance you have never met him, if you're here today and perhaps identified that you haven't given your life to Christ, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight, to surrender to him. Now, some of you guys raised your hand before. Some of you guys prayed a prayer. But raising your hand and praying a prayer doesn't save you. Now, when I say that in a church service, sometimes I this is after people have gotten saved. I think people think, well, why'd you have me raise my hand and pray a prayer then? Because that's the point of faith to which you say, I believe in you. You respond. You could do that in, in myriads of ways. When you, say, you decide, I want to serve him, I want to follow him. You could show your faith in many different ways. When people get saved in all kinds of different ways. There's no one method. But if you did raise your hand and pray a prayer, but you didn't follow through, then you know you have to take care of that. You know you have to make it right and live wholeheartedly for him. So stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can spend time here today and consider the things of a transformed lives, the life and the kind of things that happen inside of us when we are transformed. And Lord, I pray that we would draw near to you, that we would cleanse our hands as sinners and purify our hearts as double-minded, that we can know you and walk with you. Thank you that when we are born again, by this we know that we know you, that we keep his commands. And we know we don't always do that because the same book tells us if we sin, we confess and God, he's faithful to forgive. But Lord, we do know that we do keep your commands. And Lord, if we're here, and we don't want to do what you wanted us to do. I pray that you would speak to us clearly now. And I thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.